This is The Guardian. Today, what does the ICJ ruling on genocide mean to Israel? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The sitting is open. The court meets today to deliver in open court its decision. After two days of testimony and two weeks of desperate anticipation, on Friday, the International Court of Justice handed down its ruling at The Hague. Carefully, methodically, 17 judges from across the United Nations analyzed the case put forward by South Africa on whether Israel is engaging in genocidal acts in Gaza. Tension pierced the courtroom and at least some of those claims were deemed plausible. The State of Israel shall, in accordance with its obligations under the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, take all measures within its power to prevent the commission of all acts within the scope of Article 2 of the Convention. The fallout has been dramatic. The charge of genocide leveled against Israel is not only false, it's outrageous, and decent people everywhere should reject it. It could take years for a conclusive verdict to be reached. In the interim, the ICJ has ordered Israel must act to prevent genocide and for more humanitarian aid to be allowed into Gaza. But instead, over the weekend, 11 countries led by the US, UK and Germany have withdrawn funding from the biggest aid agency in Gaza. The news comes in response to the Israeli government's new allegations. Israel claims that a dozen workers from UNRWA, a UN-led organization, were involved with Hamas and the October 7th attacks. The Secretary General has been briefed by the Commissioner General of UNRWA, Philippe Lazzarini, regarding extremely serious allegations which implicate several UNRWA staff members in the terror attacks of October 7th in Israel. The consequences for Gazans are difficult to comprehend. War is raging with already limited access to food and medicine. Officials said 90% of Gazans routinely face days with nothing to eat at all. And they forecast the onset of outright famine unless something changes. How will Palestinians continue to survive on the Gaza Strip? And how will the ICJ enforce its orders against Israel? From The Guardian, I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, the ICJ ruling and the defunding of Gaza's biggest aid agency. Patrick Wintour, you're The Guardian's diplomatic editor, and you were no doubt watching closely on Friday lunchtime as the International Court of Justice handed down its ruling as to whether Israel, as argued by South Africa, is committing genocide in Palestine. What did the ICJ judges have to say? 
I think I had a number of things to say, but probably the most important was to say that there was a plausible case that Israel was uh, committing genocide and that required further investigation. And I think that in itself is an extraordinary thing for a court to have said. I mean, it's true that the bar of what is plausibility in committing genocide is not that high. But nevertheless, for a country such as Israel, which was born out of a Holocaust and genocide and born out of centuries of persecution of the Jews, it is an extraordinary charge to have laid against it. So that was the the starting point. It then went on to say that uh, South Africa, which was the uh, country that brought the case, did have a a locker standi, a reason to be taking this case to the uh, International Court of Justice. And that's important as well, because it means that other countries have a duty to prevent genocide. It then went on to examine the degree to which humanitarian aid had been constrained by Israel. And the two orders that really mattered that they gave was one, that there should be uh, no constraint by Israel on the amount of aid going into Gaza, and that Mm -hmm. it should be much more in line with a a UN resolution that had been passed in December saying that there needed to be an uplift in aid. Mm -hmm. And the second order that mattered was that... uh, the Israeli government should constrain ministers that were inciting genocide or deemed to be inciting genocide. And there was a requirement that the Israeli government report back on that. In the court's view, Israel must take measures within its power to prevent and punish the direct and public incitement to commit genocide in relation to the members of the Palestinian group in the Gaza Strip. Uh, What it didn't do, it didn't say that it was necessary for there to be a full ceasefire. And how did Israel interpret that? How did Israel respond? Well, Israel's response has been both, it's been twofold, really. One is to express anger that anyone had ever brought this case from their perspective, deeply wounding that anyone should make that charge against Israel. But in terms of the detailed response, they've been boxing and coxing a bit and saying that, well, we're already doing the things that were being required to do by the uh, court. So this has no real uh, impact on the way in which they conduct activity. So you think it won't change their calculation? I think it's interesting because on Sunday the um, Israeli Prime Minister said that it was necessary for the groups that were trying to prevent aid going into Gaza to stop doing so. There's been a group that's a mixture of um, hostage families and uh, right-wingers who have been trying to block the Karim Shalom crossing and prevent aid going in. And I think he was aware that if he didn't say something to the effect that that shouldn't happen, uh, he could be potentially in breach of the order. But uh, I don't expect to see uh, a vast change in the amount of aid going into Gaza. And part of the problem is the uh, because the conflict is so intense uh, close to where the crossings are, And what about the military campaign itself? I think the military campaign is, if anything, stepping up. The number of deaths that have been since, say, the court order is is in the hundreds. And I don't see that uh, changing. I think uh, there's huge pressure on the Israeli prime minister to try to bring this um, military conflict to an end and to a a clear conclusion because at the moment the reports coming from American intelligence is that uh, Israel's not making as much progress as they intended. The number of tunnels that are still extant is very high and they haven't really managed to capture any of the senior Hamas command. So a lot of the progress that um, Netanyahu's promised has not happened. 
And what about the response from the Palestinians? I mean, did they see the ICJ ruling as something of a victory? Yes, that's true. I think they did see it as a victory because the Palestinians via South Africa had their day in court. Secondly, there'll be a there'll be another practical impact, which is that Arab nations will try to pass a, another UN Security Council resolution in New York and impose the decision of the court via a Security Council resolution, and that will present a dilemma for America as to whether they, uh, it's framed in such a format that they feel the need to veto it, um, and then America will be accused of uh, trying to veto the decision of an international court. So that's very important as well. Patrick, what does all this mean for Israel's allies and the support that they're giving? Well, it's led to a division in terms of the response. I think uh, Britain has largely been very critical of the ICJ, uh, and I think that's a difficult thing for them to do uh, because um, they support the court in principle. America has also been very critical. Uh, But even within the UK, there's been an interesting division for the first time uh, about um, this whole issue because there's been such sort of bipartisan Uh, kind of consensus around uh, how um, this crisis should be handled and the Labour Party was very clear in saying that the the court ruling should be respected. Uh, That was a difference in the way the the government responded so I I think that is interesting. Otherwise um, most of the responses were predictable but it does put pressure on Israel's allies um, to know that a court has made a ruling as it has. Patrick, over the weekend, there's been another story concurrently running alongside this ICJ ruling. Allegations from Israel about a UN organisation, UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, that provides aid to Palestinian refugees. And the allegations were that some of its employees were involved with Hamas. Can you explain more about what's going on there? Yes, I think in the days before the International Court of Justice ruling, the Israelis put to UNRWA, the fact that they believed as many as 12 members of UNRWA staff had been involved in the attack on Israel, mounted by Hamas on October um, the 7th. And these um, allegations were so serious that the Commissioner General, uh, Philip Lazzarini, then went to New York to speak to the UN Secretary General about these findings. And there were then very urgent consultations with some of the key donors about how um, UNRWA would respond. And I think UNRWA was very keen to get ahead on the story and not to be seen to be just solely responding to what um, the Israeli allegations. And on the Friday, just sort of literally hours after the ICJ uh, judgment, UNRWA put out a statement uh, saying they'd had to sack um I think it was nine members of, of its staff, uh, and they were mounting uh, an, in, an inquiry by the sort of largest investigative body inside the UN in New York. And the effect in America was, at least in the, amongst the American media, was to effectively wipe the ICJ judgment off the off the front pages. And it, that then snowballed because over the weekend, far from Lazzarini being able to assuage the key donors, there was a steady hemorrhage of support. Patrick, what do we know about these UNRWA workers and how credible are Israel's claims? Well, I don't think um, UNRWA leadership would be responding in the way that they are 
uh, unless they thought they were serious. Um, and there's been some leaks, I think, via the Israelis, which to the effect that they have the names of some of the individuals they believe were present in the attacks. And they also seem to have uh, been able to geolocate via uh, individuals' phones where they were on October the 7th and that they were present in Israel and present at some of these really um, horrific um, slaughters. So I think the allegations are credible. The detail to be checked with others because I don't think it's fair to say that either the American or British intelligence uh, can independently verify what they've been told by the Israelis. And do we know any more detail about these workers allegedly involved? These allegations via the New York Times are that um, seven of the uh, accused were teachers uh, in UNRWA schools and they were focusing on maths and Arabic. Uh, two were working in schools in other capacities, um, not as teachers. And then finally there were three others that were um, storeroom managers, clerks and a um, social worker. I mean, UNRWA has 13,000 employees in Gaza has 40,000 in total across the um, Middle East. And I guess it would be surprising if if you have 13,000 uh, staff drawn from uh, Gaza, there will be a lot of antipathy to Israel amongst that staff. Uh, but that, that, that's one thing. Another thing, though, is to be involved in this kind of violence. And what has been the response outside Israel to these allegations against UNRWA employees? Well, there's been a snowballing effect of different countries deciding to either suspend for an indefinite period or for a specific period the money that they will give to UNRWA. And I think there's now got to the point of 11 countries that have done so, led by some of the biggest donors. So uh, it's very, very serious. The Foreign Office has announced that the UK will be joining the United States, Canada, Australia and Italy in suspending funding to the UN Relief Agency in Gaza. I was speaking to UNRWA staff yesterday and they were making the point that they don't have a big cash balance, they don't have assets like a lot of other organisations and they live a sort of almost a hand-to-mouth existence. So this kind of loss of funding, uh, if it is indefinite, is going to be very, very serious quite quickly. So one of the issues will be, is there other agencies to which Western donors can turn very quickly to ask them to supply the aid? One member of UNRWA was saying to me that you have to realise that UNRWA is almost the de facto authority in Gaza. It is a huge organisation in terms of its importance, in terms of education, distribution of aid, and for it to be effectively dismantled altogether in the space of um, a fortnight. That's going to leave uh, the whole kind of transmission mechanism for aid into Gaza being absolutely uh, broken. So you've mentioned there's 40,000 employees, UNRWA employees across the region, 13,000 in Gaza itself. What are we talking in terms of the level of funding? I mean, do we have any idea of how reliant the agency is on the donors that have now said that they're going to be suspending their money the sources i spoke to yesterday said that if this continued that that would mean 80 percent of their funding would um, basically disappear they are very much more dependent on curiously more on uh, western countries for funding than they are from arab countries 
So I think you would have to see whether some of these Arab countries uh, would be willing to stump up the cash in a very short notice. It's not absolutely clear what these countries that are withdrawn funding are demanding of UNRWA. They're saying that um, they're shocked by what's happened and they're suspending their their funding, but they're not absolutely being very specific about what UNRWA now has to do because they have already sacked the people responsible. So what do they do next? Patrick, given everything you've said, to withdraw funding now seems really drastic, especially given all that we know, everything you've described about the humanitarian situation in Gaza. How do you think this is likely to play out on the ground now? Personally, I don't think it's tenable for UNRWA to be destroyed at this point in time, given the state of, particularly now, Southern Gaza, level of military assault. The day-to-day life of Gazans are already unbearable, because I think we're so close to very deep states of hunger and disease uh, that this is really perilous. It's not possible for the West simply to stand by and say, because we are so outraged by the fact that there were nine members of your staff allegedly involved in this uh, attack, um, we are going to cut you off. Um, I just don't think that is feasible politically and tenable, and I think there will have to be some, some compromise reached in the next few days. Coming up, what happens next in Gaza, Israel and across the region? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Patrick, 
taking these two stories together, what do they mean for the war ahead? I think that that's a lot of the momentum that would have come out of the ICJ uh, ruling has been dissipated by these allegations. Uh, it's just the nature of the sort of media beasts that that's happened. And I think it's put Israel in a stronger footing than they would have been otherwise. I mean, I'm afraid to say the war ahead looks long and I must say when this whole thing started I would have no thought that we would still be in this level of military activity in this point of time. Nonetheless, there have been negotiations initiated by Qatar, Egypt and the US over a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas over the last week or so. Uh, the progress uh, that, we are achieved, that we are making uh, in the last couple of weeks is... is we are in much better place than where we were uh, a few weeks ago. Where did they currently stand? Well, there's a lot of um, secrecy surrounding them, which is not surprising given the um, sensitivity of the negotiations. But there were certainly talks in Paris on Sunday in which um, the CIA director, Bill Burns, was present. And he is a consummate uh, diplomat. But the task is so difficult because... Uh, Hamas wants a permanent ceasefire and Israel is willing to offer a one-month, two-month ceasefire and then a resumption of uh, hostilities. And that is quite a long way apart. And you have to know when you're going for peace whether both sides uh, think it's in their self-interest to do so. And I'm not sure that Hamas at the present time really think it's worthwhile. If they give up all the hostages, which is one of the Israeli demands, Mm. they lose one of their best bargaining chips. That's not how I would like to describe them, but that is the reality of how Hamas sees them. Uh, And I don't think either the ICJ ruling or the um, accusations being immense against UNRWA are really going to change the dynamic of those negotiations, which I think are being driven more by the state of the war and the broader kind of political axes around both Israel and America. Yes, in a moment, but right now we've got this breaking news. Three U.S. troops were killed and at least two dozen more injured in a drone attack on a small U.S. outpost in Jordan. Patrick, we also saw on Sunday three U.S. troops killed in a drone attack in Jordan, many more injured. So if a ceasefire isn't looking likely, how much worse could tensions get across the region? Well, that is the great worry. The longer this war goes on, the the chances, just almost mathematically, of there being uh, a really serious escalation grows. And we already have forms of conflict going on in Lebanon, um, Syria, Iraq and Yemen. And now these attacks were in in Jordan. Um, And this is the first time we've seen American servicemen killed by Iranian-backed militia since October the 7th. There were two U.S. Navy SEALs who were drowned, but I don't think um, they're not classified as having been killed in action. So this is a a very serious moment. And what we're most worried about, what everyone has really been looking to avoid and both sides insist they don't want to happen, is a direct conflict between Iran and America. And we have as a result of what happened on Sunday, edged closer to that now. Well, that sounds terrifying. Patrick, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. That was The Guardian's diplomatic editor, Patrick Wintour. 
Do follow all his analysis and more as this story develops and you can find it all on the homepage live blog at theguardian.com. That's all for today. I'm Nasheen Iqbal. This episode was produced by Sammy Kent and George McDonough. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Humer Khalili. We'll be back again tomorrow. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Before Shopify, were you wondering where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.